Hello and welcome to the Student Council Podcast, an educational advice show made for students and by students and sometimes teachers, where everyone is qualified to talk about their own experiences. My name is Carter Dvorak and I am your host. Here today I am joined by my high school band director. He's definitely come up in a couple episodes. All positive talk. This is Mr. Andrew Holtz. How are you doing? Thank you for coming on today. Doing great, Carter. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to chat. I want to start just by asking you what have been your favorite five minutes of the past week? All right. So um, I have to admit that this is um, dad joke at its finest, but uh, as a father of four, that's kind of the world I live in. So um, my the middle two of my children are a set of twins, and they are in sixth grade. And I was doing what parents do, which is uh, transporting them from point A to point B as they had a place they needed to go. And uh, coming up on the radio was the song American Woman by the Guess Who. And uh, my car has the the feature where, like, it'll tell you what the song is and who the artist is. And um, I just thought I'd have a little bit of fun with them. And I was like, guys, I... I know this song is called American Woman, but I can't remember who the group is. Can you tell me who it is? And they go, guess who? I'm like, uh, I, I don't know. The Rolling Stones? And they're like, no, guess who? I, I, I don't know. It's not the Beatles. Um, Do you know? And they're like, yeah, dad, guess who? And I just, I mean, it went on for a good several minutes. And uh, eventually they figured out that I was messing with them. But I, I had a good uh, dad laugh in my soul. Uh, over messing with my children. so That's incredible. I was going to ask, like, how long does it take for them to catch it? Because I feel like being, you know, like, I feel like I knew enough of your dad jokes to be like, yeah, this is, you know, a trademark. Like, does it still take them a while to realize, like, oh, this he's doing the thing again? So, yeah, I think there's some of it that, like, I interact with them so much that they don't, they're not always suspicious. Um but then I think also there was a, oh, we know what's happening now and we're going to, we're smart enough that we can get him to say the answer or admit that he's just messing with us if we say it this way and I could just keep rolling with it for a long time. So that's amazing. I am. I love that so much. I, we haven't had, I think this might be the first dad joke on the show. I could be wrong, but that might be an inaugural moment. I hope it's the first of many. Oh, certainly. Um, what if every question, what if every answer was a dad joke? Like the rest <laughs> of the, like somehow. Man, I wish I'd prepared better now. Dang. Grant, what can you do with GVS? I have no idea. Anyways. Uh, let's talk about your time at Grand Valley State University, a first uh, time college talked about on the podcast. What was that experience like? What were your, kind of your drawing points to going to Grand Valley? How did that all go? And what does that school kind of do in general? Sure. So um, I had never heard of Grand Valley um, until I just happened to get a flyer in the mail and uh, looked at looked it over and was really genuinely impressed. I remember having a conversation with my mom at the time and said, you know, I've never heard of this place, but it looks really good. Um, and so we ended up uh, just having a college visit and I'd, I had been to a few other schools and I just, I loved it. The campus was beautiful. Um, it was not huge. I, I didn't want to be at a giant school um, where I could just so easily get lost in the crowd or um, not feel like I was going to know a lot of people. Like I wanted to be able to walk campus and see familiar faces. Um, and so when I went to Grand Valley, I, like I said, it was small. It was big enough. Like I think at the time it had about 10,000 students. That's plenty big. Mm -hmm. um, but I also felt like, um, especially when I was going to school for music, that uh, that program was small enough that I was going to be, um, I was going to have enough people around me that I would, I would, I would feel comfortable in just a small, smaller space. So like my freshman year, I think there were about a hundred music majors in 
my freshman class. Um, and that was a good sized crew. So yeah, that's really interesting. Like I, I do feel like there is something important and kind of nice of like going to a relatively medium sized or larger school, but having like a smaller major program or people to kind of interact with in that sense. It's a nice kind of almost like a duality here. Um, I am curious, you, you wrote down on this question, like um, kind of freedom, like finding yourself in college is such a big thing. But like, how do you kind of realize how did that go for you at Grand Valley? Sure. So first of all, I so I grew up in a small town in um, southern Michigan called Sturgis. And like, I realize who I'm talking to here. And I've taught in Saugatuck, which is much, much smaller than Sturgis. <laughs> um, we graduated about 180 kids, which I think is about three times the size of Saugatuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even so, like I would call it small town America, um, very like heavily farming based community. And um, I never quite felt like I fit in there. Um, being somebody that was very musical. And I think in order to be a solid musician, you do need to be very in touch with the feely, touchy-feely kind of side of things. And when you're going to school with a bunch of farm boys, um, that doesn't quite, like, I, I never quite felt like I was in the right place. Um, so being able to go to a school and and be in that music program where everybody was there for that same purpose, um, I finally felt like, oh, these are people that actually understand where I'm coming from. Um, yeah. So I also like, I, I felt like I could finally be myself that I didn't have to be this like really introverted, really shy kid that I was in high school and could be who I wanted to be without this like preconceived notion of this is what everybody knows. Everybody knows who I am because we've been in school together for the last 13 years. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, Another note, you said you got invested in fandoms at college. What were these fandoms in particular? Because I feel like we've talked so much about some of this stuff. So yeah, and that's that's something fun that um, we both had a a YouTube channel that we really enjoyed um, called the Super Carlin Brothers, and they're all about fandoms. Um, so again, being in that small town and I grew up in a very religious home, wouldn't have wanted it any other way. Um, but growing up in a like evangelical Christian home, um, it was not understood that, um, something like Harry Potter was an acceptable thing. Like I remember sitting through a Sunday service where it was discussed as, you know, being satanic and that this was going to, um, destroy America and just not understanding that because to me it was innocent lighthearted fun and I just I loved the worlds um, that I could read about I loved the Chronicles of Narnia which were, was okay because mm-hmm. that was an allegory and Lord of the Rings I was a huge fan of and so this fantasy based um, these fantasy based worlds were something that my um, fundamentalist isn't quite the right word but my Christian upbringing had a hard time reconciling with yeah I totally hear that that's a very like it is a very interesting topic it's certainly something that can be like reconcilable for sure was that something uh, like do we don't have to go too deep into it but like was that just something you came to on your own or did you find that through like other like connecting with other students or like groups on at college and kind of outside of that or was it just like a personal thing so I wouldn't say that it was necessarily like a a student uh, organization that I got um, connected with, but the circle of friends that I found myself a part of um, was a lot more accepting of of that sort of thing. Um, Definitely got into a group of friends that um, invited me to play Dungeons and Dragons for the first time, which was not a thing that I knew about growing up in Sturgis and just being able to like express myself creatively um, in a, again, a fantasy world that really appealed to me was a lot 
lot of fun. That is really cool. Speaking of, of expressing creatively, I want to go back to music and just say, and just ask like, where did that passion come from and how did that kind of develop over time? So um, we couldn't, we didn't have band in sixth grade like we do in Saugatuck mm -hmm. in Sturgis. Um, we started in seventh grade, which is really late. I don't know of another program that doesn't start until seventh grade. Um, but prior to that, I had kind of just taught myself piano badly. Um, I definitely needed like a teacher who would show me proper technique and form and, and how to read music. I very much taught myself by ear. And so piano lessons started for me in seventh grade, along with, um, me learning to play the trumpet. And uh, that just, it, it caught fire. It was it was interesting to me. It was challenging. It was something that really pushed me. Um, and I would say that like at first it was, it was fun. Like my high, my middle school, high school band director made class so much fun um, that I just, I just wanted to be there. I wanted to be a part of it. Um, and then once I got into high school and we were starting to play music that was a little beyond, you know, Mary had a little lamb and all the all the classics mm -hmm. that you learned at the beginning band and uh, learning to be able to express myself with a group of other people um, was just very, very appealing to me. Like I, I think I said before, I was very introverted, painfully so in high school. And uh, being able to play a piece of music, um, one in particular is called uh, Salvation is Created, which is a beautiful uh, Russian chorale um, done by a chorus primarily, but there's a band arrangement of it that just like I can't hear that piece without getting goosebumps and being able to. Um, like I said, play that and play that with a group of people and uh, just feel that music and being able to express yourself is just a very powerful thing to get to do. Yeah, I'm trying to, that name is very familiar. We've played Salvation It's Created. Have we played that as a band? Is it in our like book? It's not in the book. Um, it is something that um, I have done with Saugatuck's band a couple times. It is a holiday based, so... I guess you'd call it a Christmas origin piece. Like that's that's the the where the music is based from, what the the composer was writing for. Um, so we've done it for a couple holiday concerts. Um, I don't know if you were around um, the last time we did it, but I do know that like a couple years ago, my high school band director passed away. And um, on that day, um, I pulled that piece out because it was so formative for me and just had you guys sight read it with me in the moment um, just to kind of have that. I needed that as a expression of my grief um, in having found, found that out. Wow. I That sounds familiar to me. It might have been like freshman year really early on, but I remember that moment. I think I remember that moment, um, which was very touching and impactful. Now, uh, speaking, I want to ask as well, like, were there any kind of shifts in, you know, it seems like you had a lot of these fundamentals very early on, but like, were there any shifts in like what you wanted to do? Like, did you have any, when did you know teaching was kind of the thing you wanted to do? Like things like that. So I am was one of those insufferable children that like, knew that I wanted to go into teaching really early. And my poor, poor sister, who's three years younger than me, um, ended up having to be like my guinea pig. Um, <laughs> I was still in elementary school. Like over the summer, I made her play school with me. And I was the teacher and she was learning, you know, whatever it was that I had learned in, say, fourth grade. Here she is, a first grader, um, being forced to learn, you know, whatever the subject happened to be at the time. 
Um, so like, I would say that I knew I wanted to be a teacher from a very early age, third grade, certainly, if not before that. Um, but the subject that I wanted to teach changed frequently. Um, I think some of that was just the grade, you know, I just finished fifth grade. I want to be a fifth grade teacher. Cause that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, but then like, I definitely academics came pretty easy for me. Math was something that just very much fell into place. I, I very easily understood it. And so I thought that math would be probably what I would end up teaching. Um, but then once I walked into Mr. McCaffrey's uh, band class, like that was it. It was settled. Music was going to be what I was going to do. Yeah. Do you think that there's any correlation between like being so proficient in music and having like an easy way to understand math? Do you think there's anything to that? So that I am never going to get my doctor's <laughs> degree. <laughs> right. um, but I think that that is something that would be a very interesting thing to write a thesis about. Mm -hmm. uh, is it that the student that takes music classes um, then develop, like their brain develops in a way that helps them in areas like math and foreign language? Or is it the kids that are already geared in that direction that then excel in music? I don't know. It's a very chicken and egg argument for me. Absolutely. Because even I've been, you know, I went down the rabbit hole. I started watching The West Wing a couple months ago. So I've gone down the Aaron Sorkin rabbit hole. And a lot of people talk about like his writing and his dialogue is like musical and it was just super fascinating too of like you know where does again it's chicken and the egg phenomenon but like when you can watch a clip of his movie and put it to 60 beats per minute and everything's a quarter note and it's like oh that's really fascinating so very mm -hmm. interesting stuff but you mentioned mr mccaffrey and i want to talk more about that about kind of how you developed your own teaching style and kind of how that came to be sure so yeah i am definitely a mix and i i would say that most band directors are going to say this that you're a mix of of the directors that you had at some point you and probably teachers and other subjects too you know you you borrow you steal you mm -hmm. find what works and then you morph it to make it work even better for you um mr mccaffrey was a man just such a wonderful human being so much fun and like just genuinely cared about you and i wanted like that to me is more important like being able to express yourself musically and understand the music for what it is obviously important things to me but having a student know as they walk in that door that this is a safe space for them and that they can express themselves in a way that might not be quote unquote quote, safe outside the, the walls of that classroom um, is really important. Um, when I went to Grand Valley, my director was uh, Professor Martin and um, brilliant musical mind. I learned so much from him. I had multiple classes with him from like intro to conducting to marching band techniques to, I mean, he taught me the ins and outs of being a band director. Um, he's a hard man. Um, like he has high expectations and that's great. That's what you need. Um, at the same time, that was just a very different take on being in band than what I had had in high school. Um, I then was incredibly fortunate when I did my teacher assisting at Grand Valley and then my student teaching to have four different band directors that, like, as I mentioned, who I worked with, with my colleagues, they all just go, oh my gosh, you just struck gold. Um, I did my teacher assisting in East Kentwood 
um, in their middle school program, I was officially with Steve Foote, who taught in one of their um, middle schools, because they have three. But they had a really nice setup where each director went to another one of the middle schools and team taught a couple classes. So I also got to work with Dave Klein and uh, Kristen Bielski, all three phenomenal band teachers. And I would say that I stole (laughs) a lot of things from all three of them. And then finally, my teacher, student teaching, excuse me, was at uh, Godwin Heights in the city of Wyoming uh, with Mark Townley, who's now the band director at Byron Center. And uh, there there are not words for how amazing of a person he is and um, what he's done musically with the programs that he's worked with is just phenomenal. I was so fortunate in working at Godwin Heights that um, while I was there, um, we won multiple state championships in the um, Michigan uh, competitive marching band circuits. So it was it was just a phenomenal experience. That's amazing. Yeah. No, like I, it's cool that there's so many different, like I think that anybody in teaching, anybody in life has so many different influences and mentors and stuff. I, I really hear what you say about like the care thing. I, I, you know, like you've certainly brought that to Saga Tech's band. I think that's made it such a unique and special program just to like say that as well. So that's really, really cool. Um, And then further, I am yeah curious about Friday listenings as well and where those came from because they're just so fun and so cool. Oh, yeah. Do you have a favorite of the Friday listenings that you ever like played for people or, like a, when you go back to? So if you're listening, listening to this podcast and you've not been in my class, um, one thing I do just about every Friday in each of my classes is I'll play a piece of music that most of the time it's something that I don't think the students are going to ever find on their own. Like the world of music is so vast Mm -hmm. um, and there's so many great musicians out there that I want you to experience more than just what you're used to listening to. Um, I grew up, my, my parents listened almost exclusively to the music of the fifties and sixties. And like, I have a broad knowledge base of that. Um, but I missed out on a lot of the music in the area that I era that I grew up in. Um, so anyway, I, I, I developed the idea of the Friday listenings in a graduate course that I was taking also through Grand Valley, although I didn't get my master's there. Um, and it was just another band director was kind of talking about like playing some music for the kids and discussing. And I was like, man, we, we really don't do that. And we really should. And so I brought it back to my school and it became a a weekly thing. And I I realized that not every student that leaves my door when they graduate is going to be playing their instrument permanently. There are only so many chances to play a bass clarinet after you graduate high school. You know, it's not a solo instrument. You can't play it like a guitar and sing along, you know, to whatever song you're trying to learn. It's a pretty narrow use instrument. And there are many, not just bass clarinet. Um, But most people are going to be consuming music after um, after high school. And I just wanted students to be able to talk intelligently about the music. Like I grew up in the, the farm country. Country music was a big thing. And it was very easy to like hate on country music without even thinking about it. Um, well, that's country and I hate me. I hate it. Well, why? Because it's country and I hate country music. Well, b- but why? And, you know, if you, I'm not saying you have to like every genre of music, every piece of music you listen to, but if you can intelligently speak on it and what it is that doesn't connect to you, well, that's okay. And on the other side of things, if you can, um, you know, present a piece of music that others might bristle at, but you can say, hey, this is what I really like about this piece of music. It makes me feel something that I needed to be able to get, I needed to process through um, is a really powerful thing. Um, For me, 
I don't even know that I could tell you like, this is my favorite Friday listening experience. What I think is the best for me is when I play something and don't know where it's going to go. And all of a sudden we're 25 minutes past where the music was done playing. And the class has just had this amazing conversation about the piece. Um, that's what kind of, that's what brings a smile to my face. Yeah. Those are always really cool days and cool moments for sure. Of just like when it would just kind of keep going. And I'm like, this is amazing. Everybody's really, really getting into it, which is lovely. It's the same thing with, with jazz band discussions for albums and artists and stuff. I would always love, like those are super fun too. I, you know, I, I feel like my, the first one I ever did was a love Supreme. And that, what, what a day that was when we were all going at it for that one. So mm -hmm. that was I, a polarizing album. I think that I've come around to it. I'm not going to lie to you. I think like if I listened to it today, I would be much more interested in it than if I was as a sophomore in high school. So there's something. There you anyway, go. <laughs> anyways, um, I'm, I'm curious. You've had a long kind of teaching experience and like has the uh, obviously it's all music, but like has the kind of the content changed at all? And then if you notice like student interests or kind of student habits progress over the time you've been teaching. Yeah. So I feel really old in saying this, but this is my 20th year officially teaching. There's, there were the years before that where I was doing my student teaching and, and all of that. Um, that went fast. Like 20 years of a career has just, it feels like a blink sometimes. Um, I would definitely say that over the last few years in particular, I'm beginning to feel my age, not necessarily like physically, but when I try to understand what, and I, I know I sound so old in what I'm saying right now, but what the heck are young people talking about these days? Like I started teaching at 21. That was the when I was in my classroom by myself for the first time. And I had kids that were 18 in that class. And it's really easy to connect with that age because you are listening to the same music. You have had the same life experiences. And now that I'm 42, uh, kids just, they're into very different things. I don't listen to the same music generally that young young people these days are listening to D tiktok like i <laughs> resist tiktok i don't i don't want to go there i have enough things taking up my time but when there's some kind of like musical um meme or like trend on tiktok i miss that i don't i don't understand it and the terminology that kids use is really hard to keep up with. And for all of you sitting there at home listening to this, laughing at me, it'll come for you too. There'll yeah. be a day when you're going to go, what is this kid talking about? And welcome to my world. Those Gen Alpha kids scare me a little bit. I don't know what's <laughs> coming, um, but something's coming. It's true. I was just talking to, recently I was talking to a sociology professor here at U of M and he's teaching uh, sociology and digital studies. And he's probably like, you know, and, and he's like a, a significantly even like an older teacher than you are. And he definitely had the same, the same kind of discussion of like, I don't know what's going on here too. And like, sometimes I have that phenomenon too. Where there's, there's new words all the time. Like you, I'll delete TikTok for three weeks and be like, everything's changed. Everything's different. Why are people talking about, you know, the most random of topics? But mm -hmm. it is a fascinating thing. But goodness there is a lot of music. Something like Urban Dictionary, like just being able to look up something and have someone go, oh, that's what that's supposed to mean. Cool. Now I get it. Yeah. Urban Dictionary truly is a, a should I say lovely? I don't know. Urban Dictionary is a thing. 
Um, the thing, it's, it's a helpful tool. Yeah, when it's used as a resource and a nice tool, it's great. Um, it's fascinating. Um, yeah. Now I want to talk something that you know. I feel like I remember when I got there, like there was all this talk of of, of a new band room and and getting a new band room and trying to pass this bill more than once and finally having to go through. And finally, now you guys are in your new band room, which is so exciting. Which I've gotten to kind of peek around a little bit, and it's super cool. So how has it been going into the new room? How has the experience been? I guess for for context of the listener, like why was there such a big push for a new band room and kind of what does that mean? So if you want to just talk on that. Yeah. So I've been teaching at Saugatuck for 15 years now. And when I came there, the largest class I had, I believe had 35 kids in it, maybe 32. And the high school band had 27. And the space that we had was perfectly adequate, perfectly fine. Um, I'm very thankful for the fact that over the years, the um, program has grown considerably. Um, We, at one point, it's gone back a little bit due to COVID. Um, But at one point we had like 91, 93 kids in the high school band. And that was fantastic. The problem was that the band room itself was never designed for a group of that size. Um, I had to wear wear ear protection, um, but in so doing, like you lose a lot of musical nuance. And so I was having to like wear earplugs while we were warming up. But then when we were getting into actual rehearsing music for performances, I had to take it out. But then by the end of the day, those sound waves accumulate, you know, just constantly being bombarded by percussion and low brass. And it just, it, I got to the end of the day and felt like I had gone four or five rounds with Mike Tyson. And um, you, I would just go in my office and sit down and just be in a heap um, for a while, just trying to recover. And uh, I was very fortunate to have a audiologist doctor up in Holland um, who actually awesomely now is a band parent because his daughter is in seventh grade, but he was not at the time, um, who came out and tested um, the sound levels and measured the room and said, yeah, the decibels in here are completely dangerous for students. And um, the room itself was designed to house 35 students. And I go, okay, cool. Well, we've got 90 in here. And he's like, no, (laughs) it it cannot be. So we really had to like put hearing protection, give, give students hearing protection and just make sure that they were covered. So thankfully, wonderfully, the, the community of Saugatuck realized that like, this was a thing that needed to be taken care of and built a new band room. Um, Moving into it was a lot of fun. Um, we had been in that old band room for 50 years, obviously well before me. Um, but in closing that chapter, it felt like something needed to be done. Like we needed to do more than just move our stuff. And so we did a piece of music that, um, was in the style of a Dixieland funeral. And, um, if you aren't familiar with that, it starts very slow and somber as they're walking the body towards the cemetery. But then as they have the ceremony and then as they leave, everybody is just like joyously, triumphantly walking out of the cemetery because they're happy for this person who's now moved on to this better life. Um, and so we did that. We we learned this piece of music and it was very slow and somber to begin. And we played that in the new band room and slowly started walking through the halls as like a funeral procession. And at some point the music kicks up. And so we just like joyously walked our way down through the hallway and into the new band space and, and, and played in that new room. So it was a lot of fun. 
Um, the, the rehearsals there have been amazing. Um, I don't need to wear hearing protection as we play, which is a, a blessing. Um, I can get to the end of the day and like, ah, breathe a nice breath of, Hey, that was a great day of rehearsal. Um, we are now to the point and like they're doing it today, um, where some of the rooms that weren't totally ready for us to move in, like, um, the instrument storage room had no actual instrument storage units in it. Mm -hmm. It just was an empty room. They're putting those cages in today and, uh, the music library is getting moved in. And so that's a lot more physically demanding as we're moving just boxes and boxes and boxes of library and equipment and all that stuff. But it's, it's great. I'm very, very excited about the new space. Yeah, I am so excited. I had the honor of listening to the Dixieland piece at the holiday concert. It was absolutely phenomenal and so much fun. And I am so excited. It'll definitely be fun if I ever get to peek in and see how the new space is with the whole group in there. Seems really cool. The pictures have been great to just to like watch. I feel like, and I bet that a lot of like old band students have the same phenomenon of like just being like, like finally, like we got it. Like it feels like a collective win um, for everybody who's been in that experience. Like obviously I miss the old room, but I'm very happy that you guys finally have the space. Yeah, it, w it was very bittersweet to close the door on that old space. Mm -hmm. we had outgrown it it was time it was you know the color scheme was 1974 um the you had to be careful that the cages where you kept your instrument didn't cut you because you might get tetanus you know like it was it was time for an update but at the same time like there's a lot of memories there you know yeah there are even you know in my four years and i know that they they must just be echoing back so far and so far but is it like do have all the little things kind of migrated over the like i'm thinking of like the mc holtzy holt or yeah mc holtzy holt's plaque and like kind of little pieces of artwork that were scattered around like did a lot of that stuff make it in the transition so um yes the sign you're talking talking about in particular is there. And one of the very first things I put up in the new space was the sign that's like, there's a $5 charge for whining. That is, that yes. is now open in the new space. The incredible Holtz um, podium is, is in its new space. I do still have several boxes of um, memorabilia and whatnot that needs to get unpacked. I'm just really trying to like 10 minutes at the end of each day, pull out some of that stuff and set it up. And because it would be hours and hours and hours, and it's just, it's a little better for my mental health to do it in, in little pieces. So yeah, I would do it. I'm just, I thought of this. I have to ask, did you pack the reeds from the reed wall of shame or did they like, like, does that move? over or was that like no I let, I let those go um yeah. that was definitely something that i started early in my time in Sagatuck because kids had not really been taught how long a read is supposed to last and we're playing them way past the point of okay like hey that black mold that's growing on your read maybe you don't put that in your mouth maybe oh. you get a new one you know um and so i really had not added much to the read wall of shame in years because kids had finally learned like this is how we take care of ourselves and our instruments so those came down and i have no plans of putting a new one up perfect very nice um getting to the end of these fan questions i've loved talking about all this stuff the band has traveled to a number of places over the years which is super cool and i love that you know people have the experience to get to go and, and visit like i feel like aside from it basically just be the band or the interact club on occasion like the only big groups of people that got to like travel in school so it's super super wonderful experience there and i'm curious did you have like a highlight of where you took the band and is there 
there anywhere you'd love to like take them to like a dream location? Yeah. So we have been very fortunate to go um, a lot of really cool places. Um, New York City was phenomenal. Taking the band to New Orleans, um, absolutely amazing experience. Um, strangely, I, people may scratch their head at this, but the place that I liked the best was Cleveland, Ohio. And I'm a Michigander, and I don't have fond feelings of Ohio like many um members of our state but um it was it was an amazing experience the cleveland symphony orchestra is one of the top orchestras in the world i i don't know how it's ohio for goodness sakes but they're phenomenal they were playing a piece of music that was just so loud and raucous and out of nowhere it dropped down to piano and i swear i watched every kid like lean forward in their chair it felt like we had all just suddenly gone deaf but really their dynamics were just that powerful that you just it, it you just felt it and for years after that i could use that example and be like hey this needs to sound like the cso and immediately they knew what that meant. It was awesome. And we also had a clinic. My favorite clinic of all the places we've been was when we were in Cleveland and we went to uh, Case Western Reserve University, another place I'd never heard of, but the band director there was phenomenal and just did amazing work with them. Um, as far as places I would like to go, uh, so we went to Toronto. Um, that's actually been our most recent trip because we were going to go to Orlando and that got COVID canceled, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, traveling internationally was hard. And I mean, it was Toronto. We're in Michigan. That wasn't yeah. very far. But like needing to have proper documentation to take that many kids um, out of the country. I, I don't see see that happening for a very long time. Um, but if I could just like pipe dream, no problem at all, take them anywhere in the world, um, I would go places that like, you're just not going to experience this music on your own. And so places that come to mind for me are um, West Africa. They have um, some music called High Life Music that is just so energetic and fun and exciting. Um, I think Ghana, Liberia, that sort of thing would be really cool to go to. Um, I briefly taught um, elementary music at Godwin Heights, and they had a unit um, in their textbooks that was on Kuling Tong music, which is from Indonesia, and just so different sounding. Um, I, if you've never heard it, look it up. It's it's really, really cool. And then something I discovered just as I was trying to find some unique Friday listenings one time um, was some Mongolian throat singing. And I think it'd be amazing to like go there and try to learn how to uh, learn how to throat sing. So those are my like pipe dreams. It'll never happen, but it would be really cool to get to. It would be you to one can learn to throat sing like i think so like clearly someone has i there's just got to be some some training there i don't know yeah. how to do it. no vocal training is something fascinating even when it goes to like like people who like do impressions i'm like how how do you have this much power over over the ways that things sound when it comes out um which is very interesting okay so i was doing my my proper digging for every guest that i have and it was fun to like go and find some of these older band stories and stuff and i found something that i had never heard about y'all were in a movie the saga duck high school band was in a film and i'm curious what that was like and are you like actually in the film like did you make it to the final cut and tell me the story about that because i've never heard it before sure so this was i think year three in saga tuck either two or three mm -hmm. and um there was a director i believe his name is lance black 
um, who had gotten a lot of fame for a movie he did called Milk and like had had Oscar buzz and he may have even won. And this was his next film after. And Michigan had at the time um, some like tax credits and breaks for film companies to film in the state. And uh, so we heard that they were going to be filming a movie in South Haven and uh, that they were looking for a band. And they were looking really specifically for certain things with their uniform. And fortunately, we had just gotten the the new uniforms and they were exactly what they were looking for. So um, they cast us in the film and uh, the program was still really small at the time. And so I had to move my eighth graders up just to fill uniforms. Um, oh, wow. And they they wanted us to play Hail to the Chief, which is what the um, president, what the music that plays when the president of the United States walks into the into the room. Well, that's not a piece of music that a lot of bands have just sitting in their library because, you know, the president doesn't walk into the room very often. Um, and so I just put a mass call out to all the band directors I knew, like, does anybody have this? I don't know why you would. And I don't remember what school did, but someone responded, like, yep, I do. I'll send it to you. And um, so we were cast on like a Tuesday. I got the music on Thursday and um, I passed it out to the students and said, hey, this has to be memorized because you cannot have your music on you by tomorrow. And like, you're going to be in a movie, memorize it. And so they took it home and they memorized it and they did. And we played and it was a lot of fun. It was also so slow. It was a long day of just sitting around, but like, it was exciting. You know, you're, you know, you're going to be in a film at some point. You're just kind of waiting in the tent for the call to come. And I mean, it was hours and hours and hours that we're just there, like playing games together. Just, you know, anything that you can play without having cards or like, we just, we just had ourselves. Um, but they called us down and we went down and we did the scene and um, it was like supposed to be a political rally. And the guy, the main character, um, who was Ed Harris, um, you might have seen him from The Truman Show, one of my favorite movies, uh, or uh, National Treasure 2. He was the bad guy in that. Um, at any rate, he was like running for political office. And we were supposed to play this as he was coming up onto the stage um, for this political rally. And during the scene, like he was supposed to give a couple lines and then there was supposed to be a gunshot. And at that point, we were all supposed to like panic run from the from the space, which was uh -huh. kind of cool. because we We're all doing some acting. Right. Yeah. Um, so it was it was a lot of fun. It was a long day. Um, at the end of the day, the movie, I believe, is just called Virginia. At the time, we were told it was going to be called What's Wrong with Virginia. But if memory serves me, the movie itself is called Virginia. Mm -hmm. uh, we are on screen for about five seconds. Okay. <laughs> um, a couple students got really, really fortunate and got like a close up, like you can see their face, you know who it is. But for the most part, it's like, yep, there's the Sogatuck band. We can see them. And the thing that kind of bummed me out was they um, told us what piece of music they wanted. We, like, I scoured to get it. The kids all memorized it. We played it. And, like, I was proud. They sounded good. And they overdubbed us with the U.S. Marine Band playing Stars and Stripes forever. Like, that's Dang. fun. Obviously, the United States Marine Band is phenomenal. But, but it's just so weird to me as a band director to be like, here's a band of 40 kids. And they sound like the U.S. Marine Band. 
Um, and like, I don't know why they wanted us to play Hail to the Chief if that's then not even the song they used. It was just, it was very odd, but a really, really cool experience. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, so much, of, I wonder if even music stuff is licensing. There's so much, I think, wild stuff behind the scenes, but that is really funny that I never knew we were the band made. I never knew the uniform I wore was a screen accurate costume. Um, this is true. This is true. The so. only thing they had to do to change it was um, our, it does have like Sagatuck in white on one of the shoulders and so they had to cover over that because it was supposed to be a you know california um town that this was happening in so there's probably a song tuck in california maybe who knows who knows that's really really fun now let's get into some of the just kind of fun general rapid fire questions i'd love to ask everybody starting with what is the most impactful piece of advice that somebody ever gave to you so this came from my uh high school youth group leader where i was speaking with her and saying you know i'm just I'm, I'm so shy. I'm so, I, I just, I don't want to say the wrong thing and have people give people ammunition to make fun of me or reject me or whatever. And her response was just forget what other people are thinking about you. Just be yourself, live your life and you're going to find your people. And that absolutely was true. Once I went off to college and could just be myself and not worry about the life I had come from, I did find the people that, you know, let me be me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, the, the continuing that, I'm curious, do you have an ultimate tip for somebody going into college? Yeah. Um, college is your chance to try it all. Experience everything that's there. There is anything and everything you could want is available to you. And once you graduate high school, that chance really diminishes as you, you know, get married, have kids, have a full-time job. Um, so experience what you can now and don't fall into the trap of like feeling that you need to specialize right away. You're going to get that degree if you you know go to class and do your work. Um, but like, why not take a fencing class? When else are you going to get a chance to do that? Um, and I did mention like another important tip is you, you do need to go to class. Don't skip yeah. out on that. Go, go to class. It is important, but also, you know, try fencing or uh, equestrian and any, anything fun like that. Now, I'm curious. I love asking people, what were your expectations going into school and how did those kind of shift along the way? So I just fully expected college to be, you know, this is what's going to prepare me to, to be to, for my career. I am going to school to study music. I'm going to leave that space being a band director. That's the plan. Um, I also expected it to be really easy. I was not challenged academically in school and really even musically either. I was definitely big fish, small pond and uh, got to school and realized, holy cow, these people are way better musically than I am. Um, and I'm going to have to work my butt off to do what I need to do to, to, to succeed. Um, I will say it was a lot more fun than I expected. Like, just like I said in the previous question, just being able to experience all the things that I just wasn't going to get a chance to do elsewhere. It was a ton of fun. It is. You, you, you say that and it brought up a memory of, we talked a long time ago. Can you describe to the audience what miring is or was? <laughs> okay. So if you're a college student, you know that um, you don't have a lot of discretionary funds. So like being able to go to the movies is can be a rare treat. Like you don't always have the money to do that and get popcorn and whatnot. So a group of friends and I uh, made up a game called Miring. And so you go to Meyer, or if you're in a part of the country that doesn't have Meyer, make it Walmart or Kroger or whatever grocery store slash mega store you want to go to. 
you and your team each get a cart and you get like five or 10 minutes to go through the store and fill it up with the most random stuff you can possibly find. And you meet up after that five, 10 minute window is over and trade carts. And then it is a race to put everything back in the right place again. Not just like we found some place to throw this thing. No, you have to find where the other team got it from and put it back in the exact spot. And the first team to get that done wins. So it was it was a cheap way to keep yourself entertained for a couple hours. I love it so much. I still think about it from time to time. I'm like, that would be something really fun to try out. Did you like, were the staff members aware, one, of the game you were playing, and two, okay with it or not okay with it? So we tended to do, this was like a 2 a.m. sort of activity. Perfect. Um, and I think at that point, they're aware of you and not super pleased. I think you could get away with it much better if you did it you know, during a normal time of the day. The mm -hmm. only time we really got into trouble was when one of us chose a like frozen turkey and that was sitting in our cart. And the, the employees were like, um, you know, someone's going to want to eat that at some point, right? Like this is kind of thawing right now in this cart and it's kind of gross. Knock it off. Yeah. But aside from that, they were pretty okay with it. One turkey. That's okay. That is absolutely amazing. Now, back to our regularly, regularly scheduled programming. Do you have a dorm room essential? Yeah. So for me, this isn't an item so much as a policy. And that is just like, as much as you can, have your door open. Um, I talk to jazz band about this a lot. Like I call it fishing for friends. Um, but like you just put your door open and you put on like a Miles Davis or a Thelonious Monk album and just let the music waft its way out into the halls. And there's going to be kids that walk by and don't think anything of it. But then someone's going to stop and be like, dude, is that Miles Davis? And that's the kids you want to get to know. Like that's, that's your person. Um, or whatever, like if you're not into jazz, if there's some other style of music that maybe not everybody is going to know on the on, on a dime, um, you play that and find someone that's going to have a, a similar music taste to you. Um, but even not just that, but like not just constantly having your door closed and doing your work, but like being open to hearing what's going on in the hall and making yourself available. If someone walks by and is like, hey, we're going to do this. Do you want to join? Yeah, absolutely. Again, when are you going to always have the time to be able to go out there and experience things that you are never going to experience again. Absolutely. It's a, it's a really great policy. I think especially it's so critical. I think of the first week or early days of college, but even still, like, I think I had my door open like a couple like months into school and somebody like somebody who I met like on our move in team on the first week was like, Hey, and I was like, what's up? And it was like a nice time to like, just to see people and to catch up and chat and stuff. It's amazing. So <laughs> what's a moment from high school that you still think about? <sighs> so this is actually, this is one of those things that like lives rent free in my brain that I wish I could, you know, have brain surgery and just cut that piece out and never mm -hmm. remember it again. But um, I was the drum major in high school and there was one day where uh, Mr. McCaffrey was gone and he had like expectations for us to do um, in his absence. We were preparing for um, a parade. And so we were practicing for the parade and marching around and um, our sub really wasn't doing much. And the kids were just being kids. Like mm -hmm. what do high school kids do when the teacher's gone and the sub isn't really controlling the class? They act up. 
And I, feeling like the student leader, the drum major, felt like it was my place to do something about it. And to this day, like why it lives rent-free in my brain is I overstepped my bounds. I was acting beyond what a high school student should have and was like putting peers in their place. And it was like, I look back on it and I am embarrassed about how I treated really my classmates, my friends. And um, one student in particular was a, a very close friend of mine and she fairly took offense at the things I was saying. And this was like early May of our senior year and that relationship was severed as a result. Um, a few years later, one of our mutual friends passed away and we both went to the funeral and I tried to connect with her and apologize and she wasn't having it. She didn't want to hear it. Like it was that big of a thing. Um, thankfully, like I graduated high school in 98, so it's been a while. Um, Mm -hmm. just recently we have reconnected on social media and, um, that relationship is not completely dead anymore, but man, I wish I could take back, um, that time. Wow. That's a really powerful story. I appreciate you sharing that. That's, it is a very interesting phenomenon in high school with, uh, student leadership roles and, and how that balances when it's like, everybody's kind of on the same level, but it's also, it's complicated. It's very complicated. Mm-hmm. Now back to music. I am curious, do you have a song that got you through a period of school or teaching or any of that? Just like I, I have my school survival playlist going for this podcast. So I'm curious if you have anything to add. Sure. So I think this goes back to the painfully introverted person (laughs) of Mm -hmm. high school. But the answer that comes to mind here is uh, Simon and Garfunkel's song, I Am a Rock. And it's about a guy who is just sitting in his room alone and unwilling to let the world affect him. I, I am an island. I am unto myself. A rock does not feel pain. An island doesn't cry. I am just, I am isolating myself. And in high school, when I was so introverted and so um, afraid to be myself, that's very much how I felt at that point in my life. Yeah, it is. It's always talking to people about, talking to people about the music they listen to is always such an interesting kind of topic. I mean, obviously you're so aware of the power of music as well, but it's like there is some level very much of how it kind of describes people's personalities. And it's, it's a really fascinating playlist like i honestly haven't ever listened to it like on shuffle before i'd really be curious what that experience is like it's incredibly eclectic but just kind of reading the song headings and knowing everybody's reasoning for it is a really fascinating experience just even for me so yeah getting to the last couple questions the last question actually i'd love to ask is would you what would you tell your freshman self in college and then your first year self teaching so i if i could go back and talk to my freshman college self I would tell him he needs to get into that practice room and practice more. Um, Man, like I said, the students that I was going to school with, they were so good. And I was so intimidated by that. Again, big fish, small pond. I just, I didn't feel like I would ever be able to match that level. And so I kind of turtled and did what I needed to, to get by. But musically, I think that stunted me because I was so in my head about that. But like, I, that didn't get better. Like being a turtle didn't help anything. So, you know, I wish I had put up a little more fight and uh, been willing to push myself a little more. Um, 
with teaching, um, my fir- first of all, you could not pay me enough to go back and do my first year of teaching again. <laughs> it is hard, so hard. Um, and I, my first year was not an ideal situation. Um, I replaced a band director who was on sabbatical. He was gone for the year. His fan, like his wife, had taken a job in Costa Rica or something like that, and he was with her. So, like, obviously, he wasn't going to be around. But the plan was that he was coming back um, at the beginning of the next school year. And so every kid knew that, and I knew that there had been some talk about like me staying on as the assistant director, but that was not guaranteed. And here I was this young gun out of, out of college who just knew that he knew everything and knew how to do it best and was going to change the world. And what I ended up changing was all the things that the kids liked about their band program with their band director who was going to come back the following year. And there was a lot of resistance to that. Um, and so I definitely would go back and be like, dude, maybe maybe change these two things that to you are non-negotiable. But how about you respect the traditions that are here, that were here before you and make sure that, you know, these kids who, especially the seniors that year, they want their traditions. They want to do, they want things to be the way it's been, you know, before you. So Yeah, that's a really interesting thing to say of like, there's, I think, such an interesting balance of respecting tradition and also trying to innovate and striking that chord is certainly not an easy thing to do one way or the other so you're absolutely right in that it's very good advice for teachers and and everybody else alike so the last final question the secret question is do you have anything to plug anything to share anything to encourage the audience to do yeah my plug is and i don't care whether you you know couldn't sing your way out of a paper bag If you've never played an instrument or you played an instrument in sixth grade and then just stopped because it wasn't for you or whatever, learn an instrument, learn how to play something, because it is amazing what it can do for you. A couple of my colleagues that I respect the living daylights out of are Mr. Greck, who teaches uh, 7-8 social studies, and Miss Marcus, who just retired but also taught eighth grade science. And the both of them, in the time that I've been at Saugatuck, um, just really for the challenge and for the fun of it, learned an instrument. Mr. Greck learned to play piano while his daughter was also taking piano lessons, and uh, Miss Marcus learned how to play the violin. And um, it was just so cool to hear them talk about as adults what they were gaining from that experience and the respect they have for musicians and the amount of time it takes um, was just really, really cool. And I got to say, man, Mr. Greck would come down to the band room and practice the piano. And for those of you that don't know him, he is one of the football coaches and is just he is a muscular dude and to see him sit there with his, you know, meaty fingers plunking out these little keys on the piano um, was really cool. And I have, I have a lot of respect uh, for him for, for, being willing to give that a go that is amazing it's uh, that is really really fun i did not know that they had learned instruments but that's super cool yeah i now that brings us to the end of our interview thank you thank you so much for coming on today it was wonderful to talk and hear all of your amazing stories and i feel like finally have this episode i've definitely talked to multiple people on the podcast as i said at the intro who view and the band program comes up so much that it's wonderful to have this here today i am just so so grateful thank you for coming on to the listener thank you for listening to another episode of the student council i I have been Carter Dvorak. He over there has been Mr. Andrew Holtz. Do you have anything else you'd like to say before we head out? Uh, just thanks for having me. It's always fun as a teacher to uh, reconnect with students that you saw every day for years and years, and then all of a sudden, off they go. That's what you want. You want them to 
fly the nest, but it's it's fun to have them come back and, and get to talk with them. So thanks for thanks for inviting me. It is always a pleasure for sure. You listener want to connect more with the podcast or Instagram is at StucoPod. Our um, email is StucoPod at gmail.com. Wishing you the best of luck and the best of times in all of your educational endeavors. The Student Council is adjourned.